Now that we've had all the little ones doing their ba 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 and all of that, anybody here, my generation, 50 and up, wave your hands. Hallelujah. 60 and up, 70 and up. Wow, pretty cool. Well, we're going to talk about the love of God today. And I want you to have this thought in your mind for the rest of the day. If you're 50 and up, you remember the commercial where the lady falls down and she said, I've fallen down and I can't get up. And so she has to push a button on her little apparatus around her neck to be able to get the help that she needs. Well, I want you to know the whole world has fallen and it can't get up. Can't get up by itself. We have to have help from the outside. And so I want to read one scripture before we get started. It won't come up on the screen, but it's from the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 9. It says, the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So whatever God is going to do has to affect the whole world. Every people group, every culture, every context, he's got to be able to do something that meets the needs of everyone around the world. And the Bible says he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So today we're going to talk about conquering fear. And the only way we do that is through the love of God. Last week, Pastor Jason was talking to us about shalom, having peace with God. And we saw the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And what Jesus does is to release her from sin. And she's able then to go free and to be able to live the life that God always intended for her to live. And so this week, as we start into this, I want you to help me sing a song. Are you ready? So let's, let's get the, the tune here. Hmm. <laughs> Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child holy infant so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace sleep in heavenly you guys are really good. <clears throat> Every Christmas Eve, we sing that together as we close off the service, and candles are lit, and we begin to sing that song. And how many know it's a personal favorite for a lot of us? It just is one of those songs that sums up what is taking place at Christmas. It is a favorite, but it's not true. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's something going on in the earth that is not quiet, calm, 
there's turmoil happening in the earth. And when we sing the song, what we're doing is we're shifting in to another realm. We're shifting into the purposes and the plans and the heart of God for what he wants to do in the earth. And something explodes inside of us every Christmas Eve as we sing that song because we shut out all the noise. And we just focus in on him. And we say, Lord, the world may be noisy, but inside here it's quiet. It's calm. It's at peace. And so in our talk today, we're going to watch what happens between two different kings. There's a king called Herod, and he has authority and power to rule. Uh, and he does that sometimes, and you'll see in the story, sometimes with horror in what he does. But there's also a king being born in a cave. And when we heard the Christmas story a moment ago, he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Why was that? Because Bethlehem was the place where the sacrificial lambs were birthed and made ready for Passover at the temple in Jerusalem. And so that they wouldn't hurt themselves, their feet were wrapped in swaddling cloths. And they were allowed then to develop and to grow into the sheep and into the lambs that were going to be used in the temple. It wasn't a manger as we understand it, it was a cave. And the last time I think we went to Israel, Lori got lost in Bethlehem. <laughs> and we had to go looking for her. Just like the wise men had to come looking for Jesus, we had to go looking for Lori. I love how God personalizes every part of a trip when you go on it. And so those two kings in the first story help us understand that Jesus is born and he's already born as king and he's already born as Lord. It's not something that he becomes. He is king of kings. He's king of everyone kinging it, wherever they might be. And so when we read the Gospels of Matthew or Luke, we discover something that Matthew's writing to the Jewish mind. And all the way through his writing, he says that it might be fulfilled. Because they understand the prophecies. They understand that when Daniel talked about a star would be in the sky and it would lead you to the Messiah, that truth was in the hearts and the lives of those magi so that when that star appeared and started to move, they started to move with it. I mean, no, even that is a miracle in itself. And then Luke is writing in Luke chapter 2, and he's writing to Gentiles. Those are non-Jews from all over the globe, and he systematically unpacks every aspect of the Christmas story. And so when something is a significant part of your story and your history, it's recorded, it's shared, it's experienced, but often differently than if it was your story. Because I can empathize when you share your story with me, but you lived it. I didn't live it. And so I can hear what you're trying to say. What God wants is for all of us to live his story. For all of us to understand it's not just words on a page. It's his story that he shares with us and it becomes our story and we learn to walk with him. And then we understand the search 
in the hearts of the wise men. We understand the awe of the shepherds. We understand all of the things that are going on, that even in the busyness of coming to be taxed in Bethlehem at that time of the year and finding no place to stay, God always has a place. He always opens a door to a searching heart. And so in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king and wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and when it rose, we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Can I just encourage you to know that Jesus will trouble you? He will get on your case. He will challenge you to decrease as he increases in and through your life. And so Herod is threatened because he hears that there's another king in town. And no one is going to challenge his authority. And so Matthew, who lives under King Herod, would never pen the exact words of the song Silent Night that we just sang because he doesn't describe the days and the years following the birth of Jesus as tender and mild, but rather as times of trouble and times of turbulence. So when King Herod was troubled, the whole kingdom fell to quake. Herod, like kings before and after him, ruled with absolute authority and absolute fear and control over the hearts and lives of the people. So when he hears that there's another king, there's something goes off inside of him, how dare he? You and I see it on the news every day now, all over the world. When people are challenged and their authority is challenged, they react. Matthew goes on in chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Do you think that was what was really in Herod's heart? <coughs> to come and bow his knee to another king? to come and worship this Jesus, king of the Jews. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest <coughs> over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, so right away we know this is after the birth of Jesus. This is a few years down the road. They went to the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God has a way of protecting his people. God has a way of directing our steps. God has a way of warning us and preparing us. That's why later on when you read in the book of Romans, those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons 
and the daughters of God. The realization that we don't have a religion that we're in control of. We have a relationship that allows him to speak to our hearts in whatever way he chooses and to direct our steps. And so in the original Christmas story, what happens next really is horrific, but it's also predictable when you see what happens in the heart of a king that is threatened. Matthew includes it because for him, as a Jewish man, this that takes place is deeply personal. We read a story, but he would know the names of the children and the families that were affected by what decision Herod made. When you watch your news and you see Mr. Putin makes a decision to go into Ukraine, right now we're talking about tens of thousands of lives that are lost. And we realize something, that when you have power, you also have authority. And when you have authority, you're called to use it well, to steward it well. And so Matthew would know that living under Herod, you never know what would take place. And the Bible says in chapter 2 of Matthew again, Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. In other words, he's taking a swath at wherever this king is and however old he is, I'm going to take him out. I don't want any challenges to my authority and to my rule. According to the time that he ascertained from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they care no more. You know, sometimes when prophets wrote what they wrote, they had no idea of what that meant in the future. All they knew is the sovereignty of God at work in their hearts, <clears throat> giving them what to put on the parchments and they began to write and they would look into the future and say I wonder what that means and yet in Matthew's day as he writes that in the midst of all the families that have had their two years and under children taken from them and murdered the realization of no wonder Rachel was crying no wonder there's a weeping and a mourning going on in Bethlehem and so in Bethlehem and the whole region, it wasn't silent night. It wasn't calm and bright. There was that turbulence and the turmoil going on. And so why does Matthew include this in the retelling of the precious story of Jesus? On the surface, it's the same reason he starts with Jesus in the genealogies. It is as if to say, if I don't root this story in real people, in real circumstances, in actual historical events, then people are going to say, I'm just making up the story. I just want it to sound good. And that this Jesus then would be too good to be true. But how many know when you open your Bible and you start to read through your Bible, God doesn't hide the failures and the sin and the brokenness and the calamity of everyday life around the world he makes it very clear even those who love him even those like king david who came from bethlehem 
was called a man after God's own heart, and yet we all know David's story. We want to say, yeah, but, oh, for the love of God, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. And because of that love, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He was willing to write on the tablets of our heart, I have fallen and I can't get up. Just push the button and he's right there. He is as close as your next breath. What he's done in Christ is for everyone everywhere. But in the reality of reading the story, some people will see themselves like a Herod. And they'll realize, I'm resisting. I don't want to bow my knee. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to lead my own life. And in the midst of it, when Jesus appears, then every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And so, when you and I read all of these things, we realize a couple of things. We read from Matthew, we'll read again in chapter 19, one of the profound reasons this is included in the story. And if you read over it really quickly, often there are four words that you'll miss. But if, not, if you were not like Matthew, who lived in Bethlehem at that particular time, you would realize that not only is this happening, but God is in the midst of it. How many know when you look at the news, God is still in the midst of what's going on. God is still sovereign. He is working all over the globe right now. Just because we don't necessarily see it doesn't mean it's not happening. We're, to, we're called to live by faith. And when you and I live by faith, we see things that are invisible. I know that sounds strange, but if I stood up here to speak today and I chose not to speak, I just stood here, you wouldn't know what's going on inside, would you? If you never opened up his word, you would never know what's going on inside. But when God begins to speak, he lets us in on the story that is unfolding in all the earth, and that he is at the center of it. Not that he does it all, because we read from Revelation as we started, there's a deceiver, there's an adversary, there's an enemy of all that is good in the earth, and he is at work. And sometimes we say, Lord, if you are so loving, if you are so powerful, if you are so good, why do you allow Satan to do what he does? And there will come a time we will understand every situation that we've been through. When we look at the story right now and we see the provisions of God, that something happens here in the story that we're going to look at. Four words. We're going to look at in the story. It's going to change the whole story. Because God has already spoken into Joseph's heart to take Mary and Jesus and take them away. And then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, but when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, 
And now that scripture that you and I read, how does God bring his son out of Egypt? I thought he was born in Bethlehem. I thought he lived in Nazareth. What's he doing coming out of Egypt? Well, when you know the story, the pieces fit. And when the pieces fit, you see the hand of a loving God directing the steps of those who walk with him and those who love him. So Herod the king who caused so much pain and ruled by fear is now dead. The next word in his telling of the story of Jesus is more now caught than taught. Behold, there's a new king and a new kingdom. And it's not one of fear, but one of love that absolutely conquers every fear. When you know him, you suddenly are at peace within. You have a joy that you never thought you could have. I was at a meeting last night, and the gentleman before me was from the Salvation Army, and he began to talk about what was happening in Salvation Army. So when I got up to speak, I said, you know, when I hitchhiked across Canada, I stayed at Salvation Army hostels all across the country. And before I could get a bed and get a, a place to stay for the night, I had to sit through a devotional. And I said, I just want you to know that I heard a lot of devotionals, but I didn't hear one of them. I listened, but I didn't really hear it. But I want you to know that God put a hook in my heart. And he began to sovereignly draw me unto himself. Little did I know, but that's how God works in our hearts and lives. And so Joseph's now in Egypt for safety, and a dream comes to his heart, and he knows it's time now. Herod's dead, and he can go back to where he came from, and he realizes God is at work in him. Just like he spoke to Joseph to take Mary, his wife, and not to lay her aside. Luke tells the story of Jesus, and notice in telling the story, he says a very similar thing. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, 10 and 11, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the message of King Herod and the King Herods of this life is always fear. But the message of King Jesus is fear not. And there are hundreds of verses to fear not. The message of Herod is about you serve me. The message of Jesus is I've come to serve you. The message of Herod is always about loss and chaos. But the message of King Jesus is always rooted in his love a love that never fails and a love that gathers and a love that heals and a love that protects and a love that saves. I want you to know today in your wildest dreams, if you do not know this Jesus that I'm talking about, he not only will make your life the best it's ever been, but you'll shake your head and say, why did I wait so long? That's how good he is. And it's why Matthew includes these four transformation words when writing the Gospels. And he ends it with a love that conquers all fear. And that is a gift for each and every one of us. And so, like the shepherds in the field, this is a gift 
We must choose to behold. I want you to take your right hand. And I want you just to do this. Just, I receive your love, Lord. Why? It's a gift. He, he gives a gift from his hand to our hand, and we take it into our lives. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. The behold. Can you behold him this morning? Behold, I am always with you. The great I am comes into our hearts and into our lives and into our midst. We heard it with the children. We heard it with the reading. We heard it with the worship. A thousand hallelujahs. The I am is here. And then behold, I am with you always. Everybody say always. Always and everywhere, no matter what you're going through. And when you understand that and you live by faith in that, it is very easy to say, Lord, I just stop right here right now and I recognize I have fallen and I can't get up, but I turn to you and you lift me up. And from this moment on, I will lift you up in everything that I will do in my life. And for me personally uh, and for Joyce, it's why love never fails. Joyce and I know where we come from. We know what our background was like. We know what it's like to walk without Christ. We know what it's like. And then when you come face to face with Jesus and you realize he has transformed you from the inside out, and then you realize, Lord, I didn't do this by myself because you're preparing me not only for this life but for eternal life. And of all men, if I only have what I need for this life, then woe is me. But he's prepared a place for me so that I can be with him where he is forever and forever. The Christmas story is a great story. This is our season of the year. This is our opportunity to rejoice in him no matter what. And so Herod and all those like him, all sin and strongholds, will one day absolutely be no more. Aren't you glad? We get a foretaste of it right now. Bless you guys.